This isn't a kind of pursuit that, you know, well, if you've got lots of money or lots of time, you should think about. It's really fundamental. You know, what surrounds you affects you and it affects you on such a basic level. Welcome to House Guest with me, Carol Annett, Interiors Editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. Here I chat to those clever creatives behind the houses, hotels and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. Guests include interior designers and architects, as well as celebrities dipping their toe into the world of decorating. We're sponsored by Jurovit Bathrooms. Upgrade your everyday. For bathroom inspiration, visit the website at juravit.co.uk. My house guest today is the head judge of Interior Design Masters, an interiors guru and former head of Bell Decoration, Michelle Ogundahin. She's also the author of Happy Inside, How to Harness the Power of Home for Health and Happiness. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me. It's really delightful to, to meet you. We've never met before. No, we haven't. And Carol, thank you so much for having me on the podcast pleasure so you have said I don't care how you fold your socks but I do care how you feel does that kind of sum up your way of thinking about how we live you know I think when it comes to our homes people put themselves under so much pressure that you know it has to be the right color I have to have the must-have thing or the the kind of the name checked chair or even the paint with the right kind of moniker I guess that when I said that I was trying to say none of this stuff is important it really isn't. What's important is perhaps doing the work ourselves to try and work out actually what are my favorite colors? You know, if I like leopard print and polka dots and glitter, then good, brilliant, go for it. And then just try to give people a hints or ways to make that all work together to their best advantage. But my driving force always is that we are creating homes that support us. And so when I talk about happy homes or being happy inside, Really, I'm talking about healthy homes. And to me, a healthy home is one that should enable you to feel your best self. When you sort of start talking about creating a healthy home and that sort of thing, you know, I can see people sort of sitting there thinking, you know, the the ching, 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 you know, the pound signs are kind of going round and round. But it doesn't have to be about um, how much money you spend. No, it absolutely isn't. It doesn't matter how big your home is. It doesn't matter whether you're renting or you own. And it absolutely isn't about spending a lot of money. In many ways, it's thinking before you buy process, perhaps, and about reduction. It's about questioning yourself. It's like, why do I want this thing? Why am I drawn to this thing? It's about buying the best you can afford. And if you buy like that, then you buy once. Ideally, you know, it's even when you're a student, if you're renting somewhere and you've got that kind of grotty, I always remember they were kind of brown vinyl sofas that landlords love to populate their rental apartments with, and you want to cover it over. If you've done the work of thinking what colours kind of make you sing or ignite your soul, then you buy the throw at whatever price you can afford in that colour. and Or even it's a sheet, maybe it's an old linen sheet and you've dyed it. But if you've done that work, there's a very good chance that you will take that with you into your next home because there'll be no reason to throw it away, as opposed to kind of racing into any kind of large store and just picking up something that's on sale because you think, well, it'll do. It's always the it'll do purchases that I think we regret. Yeah. So it's, it's about being, being more considered in what you're buying. You know, we're now looking at all sorts of um, biofabricated materials and 
there are leathers that are being made from pineapple fibers. I went to see um, Clive Christian the other day, then manufacturing, and they, a client had requested that they use this particular pineapple fiber instead of um, leather, because they actually put leather in the side, inside their wardrobes. I mean, and, and oh, wow. uh, I mean, it's quite, it's obviously very super luxe and you get that lovely smell as you open the wardrobe and stuff. But the, the pineapple fiber leather was, was extraordinary. And I suppose in a way, we are, you know, when we talk about moving forward with interiors and the whole kind of sustainability ethos and recycling, we're going to be using more and more of these materials that are coming to the fore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's brilliant. And the innovation is extraordinary because the thing about the Pinatex, the pineapple fabric, is it's actually made from waste materials. They're making it out of stuff that would have been thrown away. So it's it's the leaves that are chopped up after the pineapples are harvested. And there's so much innovation in that area using waste. I mean, I've seen kind of leather like materials made from coffee grounds. I think seaweed can be used, all sorts of algae. I mean, apple cores, you know, the sort of what's left over from the juicing industry. I mean, it's just, it's kind of brilliant and amazing. And whatever is the impetus to kind of spark this kind of creativity, I just think we've got to do more of it because I think it's it's about waste. I mean, we shouldn't be wasting. There's so much flagrant kind of use it today and chuck it. That I mean, a, a big kind of, shift for me was when I think now about my bin as I call it the landfill bin <laughs> because anything you put in a bin and you put yeah. in that black plastic bag and throw away it's going to landfill yeah. and when you think of it like that you we can't really justify it and there's lots of simple little switches that we can make that suddenly you know you buy your pasta in a cardboard box yeah. you know it's there it's there on the shelf and I do think that there's an enormous power in that if more people start buying the brand that puts it in the cardboard box the brand that are in the plastic they'll have to change yeah yeah so I was very fortunate to be able to watch the first episode of interior design masters which I watched last night and it looks like so much fun I mean (laughs) hard work but a lot of fun and then crikey you find yourself getting emotional at the you know, that emotional bit where you have to say goodbye to somebody and and it just um, pulls at your heartstrings. But what I was interested in is the teams were doing an apartment in, they were sort of show homes in Manchester. Do you make sure that all the, everything that they create is, I mean, is it all left there? Is it important for the producers to find projects where what the students put in, it stays there? They don't just sort of rip it out as soon as you've gone. No, 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 as, as best I know, it's all very real. It's a real building that really needs the rooms to be kind of made ready and they're given a budget and they do it and we want to keep them. I mean, obviously any owner has the right to kind of go, "Mm, actually don't really like that one. So could you kind of make that back to white or whatever? But yeah, no, it's very important that it, it is real. It isn't about kind of like bosh bosh and just stick it up and quick, get the picture for the camera before it all falls down. I mean, this isn't changing rooms. Not that of course I'm implying (laughs) that's what they do there but there is more of a speed factor in that I mean we do give them there is a set amount of time that they have to do each project and some of that is about come on like make the ideas just you know do it do it at pace things don't have to take too long but they have had 
you know, a decent, a proper amount of time to think about their ideas beforehand. They've had fully measured drawings and, you know, they've got all the information there. And then, you know, we do, obviously it's, it's a television program as well. So there's an element of jeopardy. It's like, will they finish? But then that is not about kind of like, will they finish? It's about have they project managed properly? Did they get the big stuff done first to make the big statement and then go into the details? Or did they faff around arranging flowers for kind of ages when they really should have been painting a wall? but um but yeah no it is I mean I think or maybe to put it another way the draw for me was that I think when when people design they are showing you a glimpse of their soul in many ways you know and it was about getting to know these people through their design and you and me and the audience everyone we 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 learn them if you know what I mean. And there is something very moving about that because their vulnerabilities come up, the things they're worried about come up, their stories gradually come up. And I mean, I really care about them and you really care about them. And, but at the same time, I'm also trying to teach them. So there's that fine line between kind of, hmm, okay, not sure that really worked and having to be kind of quite direct because otherwise they're never gonna learn and never get any better. But I'm not criticizing them as people. You know, I think there's no space for that. I don't want to watch that and I don't want to be that person. It's not about ripping someone to shreds. And whenever I've seen formats where the judges do that, I always kind of think that's rather more about the judge than the person. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's always intended to be very constructive and like it's about the design and what you need to learn to go on to the next phase. And I would like all of them to win at every level, but you know, that's, that's not going to happen. But they learn off each other as well. And I think that's part of the joy of it. And the creativity is extraordinary. I mean, I am not an interior designer or a stylist. And uh, the idea, I mean, I, you know, I, I love looking at beautiful houses and I can choose a nice image to go into the magazine. And I, you know, and I'm incredibly passionate about things that I see, but putting it all together, when you're given a blank space, it's incredible. I love the way that, you know, some people just light up and it's like, wow, I could do this and I could do this. And then, you know, to see the different things that they come up with and the challenges that they're kind of faced with. There was a lovely chap last night who was desperate to have his um, wardrobe doors that went round and round in a 360 with the mirror. And <laughs> it was almost as if that he was so fixated on, on one teeny tiny little area of the room. Um, but then when they managed to get it right and the mirror didn't fall off the, the wardrobe door, you know, it was joyous and he was doing that wasn't doing for himself. He was doing that for somebody else. He was making something that he truly thought would just really kind of take that apartment out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. Absolutely. I mean, and that's that's what you're looking for. You are looking for the person that kind of lights up and sees the potential and, you know, that you know that they're looking at a room, but they're not just looking at the room. They're looking at what they could create in it and how they could change it and how they can make it work better. And I mean, and that's that's the spark. That's the sort of the X factor that you just you just you don't know if it's there or if it's not there. And I mean, it is it's always amazing. And it's brilliant to walk into a space and go actually that is really clever I don't know that I would have thought of that but then as you say to also persist and be like damn it I'm gonna make this thing work you know there's got to be a way and it was I mean I remember that distinctly and it was a real moment of like oh my word look at this this is so clever this isn't just doors this is mirrored doors and hey they swivel and it completely <laughs> changed that space and yet what's brilliant in that episode as well is that you start off with 10 identical spaces 
So you really kind of get a measure of like how someone's kind of approaching each space. And um, I mean, it's, yeah, my goodness, I'm always in awe of their creativity, all of them. And Michelle, I want to know, so you trained as an architect originally. So how did you then from there get into journalism? Well, going back a step, when I was growing up, my dad was very strong on having that his, I'm one of three, and he was very strong on that his daughter should have a vocational career. And so in my mind, that was either law to be a lawyer, to be a doctor or an architect. And I'm way too squeamish to be a doctor. <laughs> I thought lawyering just seemed kind of boring. I just didn't understand what it was. So it's like, okay, I'll, I'll be an architect then. And my strengths were kind of maths and arts. You know, I sort of had these two sides to my sort of personality, the very pragmatic, you know, it's right or it's wrong or and the, the creative. So it seemed like a good fit. And so I went into it more as a kind of a thing to study, something to explore. And then, you know, quite recently I went through my diploma portfolio because I've been doing this whole thing of like albuming my life at the moment rather than having all this like sort of what I loosely term my archive. I mean, and I swear, I look at it and think, my goodness, I do not know what I was on during kind of my <laughs> diploma. But my, my thinking was that, that architecture should represent life. And so there are these core things in life like love or death or disease, you know, that we what is the architecture of those and why do we not see it represented? So you can imagine I kind of went off on one and, um, and that's what my portfolio was all kind of about. But I was also deeply fascinated in this idea of communicating the idea of space but I can only do it in 2D until I've actually built something. I've only got word and picture. And so I'd, in the background of all of this, I'd always had this enduring passion. I mean, real passion for magazines. I mean, I just love them, but I love them so much. It never occurred to me that they could be a job. Yeah. I would just buy them and just, it would, I would never think, oh, there are people behind this. It was just like, oh, this is my, this is my guilty pleasure. But when I sort of finished, so I'd never had an intention to be a practicing architect somehow. I was just, I was just really interested in the sort of the discovery of it. What did it mean? What was it about? What was the point of it? And then when I, I moved to New York, um, I think that must have been in between my degree and my diploma. And by providence, coincidence, fate, who knows, one of my neighbors worked for L in New York <laughs> and again it still didn't twig but I would go and meet her at the office every now and then and so I was just sort of in that environment but still you know I didn't make that kind of jump but somehow or another when I came back and I was putting together my portfolio and I was doing all this word and picture and layering these pages I kind of made the jump to think oh maybe I should be a graphic designer because that's communicating in 2D. And so the, you know, wrote a ton of letters, did some training courses, did the whole Quark Express, I believe it was at that time, you know, I mean, you I know, remember it well. yes, <laughs> very kind of like, oh my goodness. But, um, and I wrote a ton of letters to everyone that I could think of. And one letter landed on the desk of the art director of Tate Art Magazine, which had just started. And she needed an assistant and I was like, brilliant, in I come, was paid like 25 pounds a day, but I was just this huge sponge. And again, be it fate, coincidence, providence, who knows, Tate magazine was published by the same people as did Design Review and Blueprint magazine. And we were all on the same floor. So there I was kind of helping sort of with, um, Tim Marlowe was the editor at the time and Deborah Zuckerman was the art director. 
and in that way that when you're hungry and kind of young and poor <laughs> I was always kind of saying oh can I you know can I do anything to help over here or or this piece of post actually isn't relevant for you maybe you would like it and so at one point I was actually assisting on all three magazines and all their deadlines coalesced at one point and it was just bonkers and so at the end of that I said okay I can only work for one magazine and actually I did study architecture so it made sense for me to move over to blueprint where I felt that at least I had kind of you know sort of skin in the game I suppose would be the best way to put it it's a rather nasty phrase isn't it but I had some depth of knowledge whereas I didn't really have any knowledge about art history but um even then I kind of refused to write about architecture so I wrote about graphic design and all the young emerging designers that were coming up and and a lot of kind of countercultural stuff I mean I know this only because I literally have been going through the kind of tear sheets so I wrote about do you remember when the film Seven launched by David Fincher? And I was just obsessed with the title credits because they were just the most kind of extraordinary thing with this sort of man scratching away and writing. So I would write about things like that because I just thought they were amazing. So all quite slightly left field and new magazine launches. And, and but I wrote also probably one of the first articles about people like Michael Marriott and Michael Young and all of these emerging people and emerging graphic designers too, because that's what I was out and kind of looking at and being absorbed by and fascinated by. And it felt very natural to me. And then in the same way, there was stuff that would come into the blueprint office that I would think, oh, this would be perfect for El Deco because we were more trade on architectural and El Deco was sort of wider and more lifestyle. So I would just send stuff to them because it was more important to me that it got featured than it just got left on my desk. And then I think an opening came up there for features director they asked me if I'd like to you know interview I thought oh yeah why not and then you know the rest as they say is as it goes but it was always driven by curiosity I think and hunger and just a desire to communicate I just wanted to share this stuff because I felt the pain of the designer that's working away in their studio but has no way to let the world know about it unless we get off our asses and go and find them and tell them about them. I mean, now it's easier with things like Instagram and stuff, but I still think there's nothing beats the just, you know, hitting the pavements and getting out there and just seeing, seeing with your own eyes and absorbing it and thinking, well, what do I think? And certainly when I was editing El Deco, that was always my question was why? You know, someone would come in with a press release and go, oh, I think we should feature this because it's new. And it was like, yeah, but what's interesting about it? Why? Why is it red? Why is it new? What, what, you know, that's not enough. So, and I'm, and I think that stays with me today, right through into design. It's like, but why have you done that? What's the thought process behind it? I wanted to ask you, you've got some lovely guests on this season of Interior Design Masters. Guy Oliver, who's one of my favourite people, I have to say. Oh, he is lovely. Um, lovely. We had great chats. We kept getting told off, actually, because we were kind of <laughs> trying to chat and with our, our director kind of saying, OK, and hello, guys, guy, please, hello, you know, excuse me, could we just, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. We were just, like, going through, like, his sort of history because he kind of started in the Navy. I know, and but... completely extraordinary, yeah. And you've got Mary Portis. Did you know all these people? Was it your invitees or was it more the production company saying, oh, you know let's because it's a really good mix of people 
It's a brilliant mix of people. And it was very much a kind of um, start right from the beginning, a very collaborative thing, because we knew that we needed people that were recognizable in the world of interior design, but also people that were experts in their field, because it's about when we bring a guest judge on, it's not that we're trying to get some kind of like fight going on between me and them. It's about them bringing something additional to the party. So to have Mary Porters talk to us about retail, it just makes the sort of two halves of a whole because I can talk about the interior design and yet she is passionate about design, but can talk to us about retail and what works. And the same as someone like Ross Bailey, who, you know, founded Appear Here, which is just such a brilliant company with this idea of taking vacant retail spots and like, you know, basically matchmaking them with people that want to launch an idea. But again, he's so acute about what makes a space work. And so it was that insight we wanted. And I think previously we've had like restaurateurs as well. So they can tell me like from the ground up, like what makes a restaurant work as well as me kind of saying, yeah, but from an interior design point of view, this isn't working for me. So it's about a meeting of minds and very collaborative. I'll suggest ideas, they'll suggest ideas. And we come up with a, a kind of a team of people between us. But then someone like kind of Matthew, I was very keen on him right from the beginning because he just made this switch from fashion into interiors and yet he'd done it in a very kind of sort of quiet way and I know that when we first approached the BBC with him as an idea they were a bit like but isn't he a fashion designer <laughs> and me sending them pictures and going he was but the point is he's a, a unique creative with this like signature DNA that he has just now flipped into interiors which is actually his kind of I think I would go so far as to say his true passion yeah. and as soon as they saw a few images they were like oh okay yeah fine yeah. and so he's been with us right from season one which is just kind of wonderful yeah oh, lovely is there anything that you'd like to add that we haven't talked about maybe to kind of evoke my absolute belief in the power of our environment to affect our health and happiness. I mean, I just, I will never tire of this. And it's something that I know intuitively and have lived through experientially, but is now backed up by kind of scientific data. And I say that slightly pinched because it, it irks me that in sort of today we have to have kind of empirical data before anyone will believe anything when you could point to any creative person and saying yeah but you know this you know that you feel better when you do this but and did we really need a scientific study to tell us that like oh yes you know different colors affect your mood it's like of course they do but I think it's to, especially in the age that we're living through now, this sort of age of anxiety, the sort of post pandemic, for people to understand that interior design or doing up your home, it's not fickle. This isn't a kind of pursuit that, you know, well, if you've got lots of money or lots of time, you should think about. It's really fundamental. You know, what surrounds you affects you and it affects you on such a basic level that this is about creating an environment in which you can thrive but also an environment in which to survive really to just really underline it and it can sometimes be the subliminal things that have the most impact. Jonathan Adler puts it in his own inimitable way Prozac Schmozac Michelle's book is the only antidepressant you need it's my bible <laughs> hashtag happy inside thank you so much Michelle it's been really enlightening to chat to you and I look forward to I'm going to watch it all over again on Wednesday is it Wednesday night yep Wednesday night BBC 1 9 p.m and 
I will enjoy it even more having chatted to you. Thank you very, very much indeed. Carol, really, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. You can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. Thank you.